Hello and welcome to the Data IQ podcast. In this edition, I talk personalization with Miriam Visvari, Director of Applied Analytics at Sky. We discuss how data needs to get into the operational realm to transform customer service. And also in this edition, the tables get turned. And I'm interviewed about my new book, Becoming Data Literate. So let's begin and hear how Sky is making its services feel individual. I'm Miriam Bisvari. I work at Sky. I'm Director of Applied Analytics, uh, reporting to the CDO. I have a very big team of data scientists, fantastic team, very strong, and we're doing quite a lot of innovation. I know you're passionate about personalization, so can you tell us why that is and where you see it as heading? Yes, absolutely passionate about personalization for many reasons. One is because I'm a big fan, um, and but more importantly, I think that's the way the world is heading. And in fact, I think what's going to happen is when we don't get that personalization correct, that's the bit where you just pick it up. You know, you'll just think, hang on, why are you recommending me that? That's so wrong. In fact, it happened to me recently big shopping website, I won't name it, but I've been shopping there for over 10 years and they recently recommended me girls things. And I was appalled. Um, obviously, I'm close to it. You know, I know personalization, I know data. But but interestingly, my reaction was, hang on, you guys know me. You know I have twin boys who are 10 years old. I've been shopping with you every year. You know, boys age one, boys age two, boys age three, and so on. And why are you recommending me girls stuff? How can you get this so wrong? And I think that's that's where we're heading. People will start to pick up on when it's incorrect rather than um, when, you know, when things are being personalized. Would it be fair to say then that the, the business model for this decade is around personalized service? Absolutely. Yes, I I 100% agree. We all need to think about that. And that's in every aspect, right? So it's not just recommendations, but it's also understanding our customers. What type of customers are they? Are they transactional? Are they chit-chatty like me? You know, so when I pick up my phone, do I just want to get the business done or am I okay to chat to people? Um, what What time of the day do I prefer a contact? What type of contact? And as I said, I do feel that it will become more of the norm and therefore we need to get it right. Remember you mentioned there about your expectation about being known and and recent research we carried out suggests that data leaders believe customers have become increasingly interested in personalized services and have fewer concerns about how their data is used and about controlling that. So do you think that the pandemic has moved the dial in favor of personalization because All of us have enjoyed hopefully some positive, but certainly data-driven experiences and services. The pandemic, I think, shifted personalization to a different level. And I think that's because even those people who were big shop goers, right, who who, um, had the mass market marketing on on our streets, who went to the supermarket rather than shopped online, they were forced to do everything online. So they were, there was an element of now we have to get online groceries. Online, of course, it's all personalized. And as I said, 
I think that's where they will start to get used to that or they already have started to get used to that because they had to shift um, because of the pandemic. So I do believe the pandemic has pushed us even further or closer to that end game of everything should be personalized. Yeah, and as you highlighted there, um, data uh, and analytics are really central to getting personalization right. So what can you tell us about the opportunities and the challenges of doing that in the operational environment? Each function uh, will have their own strategy and and their priorities. So the challenge is always trying to get our uh, products, our data products, and and our um, deliverables into those priorities. So so Sky, for example, is a massive organization. Everybody's very very busy focusing on their own thing. So when it comes to some of the data products, something like personalization where, you know, I believe in the value, but they don't necessarily see it until we've implemented that, it can be quite challenging to push this live. So it's the speed at which we can we can implement it in production. And um, my approach has always been focusing on, on showing them the value, right? So if I persuade them to run a small trial, um, rather than the entire call center, just give me 10 agents, I want to show you when we push this live, in a, in a small scale, how valuable that can be. Once I've shown that, we can then push it out into to the entire uh, base, and that that's that, that has generally been the approach we've taken. You reference there, obviously, you know, Sky, not just a big organization, but but many products and, and services available. Can you give us an example of a, a personalized experience that a Sky customer um, is likely to? get and to recognize yes we do very very um, successful emails and in-app notifications around what customers have been viewing so we use our viewing data this is obviously for customers who have opted in and feedback has been very positive about it so we send them a lovely email with stats on a monthly basis so we'll tell them you have watched you know x amount of shows this was your favorite this is the time of the day you watch them these are the apps you used um you didn't quite like this film because you stopped watching it after seven minutes this kind of stuff so it's 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 brilliant and and people have been very very engaging with it as i said we only send it to to customers who have opted in but we have received wonderful feedback and it actually shows that people click through the emails i think it was 38 percent more um than 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 normal so it had a a, quite a good uplift seems to reflect um i mean one of the areas of of personalized service that we we all as a population seem keen on is that self-tracking um, and understanding our own behaviours through the monitoring that the apps and services can can give back to us. Positive response to that kind of delivery is fantastic. But is there a, a boundary? Is there a sense that it is possible to go too far with personalization? Definitely. I, I can give you an example. Anything controversial, right? So anything that could be perceived controversial, I would stay away from at this point. Um, because personalization can be an issue where you where you don't really understand the customers. So, for example, ethnic minorities, for example, would watch a certain type of ethnic minority movies, and then we would recommend ethnic minority movies. But for some people, it would be perceived as, why are you recommending me that stuff, right? So they don't necessarily connect the two, that that's what I watched and that's what I, I get. They just think that we use the data that we have, which is ethnic minority data, which we don't. But it could be perceived that that's, that's why we are uh, recommending those that content to them. So um, 
you know, the strategy at this point needs to be anything like that. We just don't use, we don't recommend because you just don't know how people will react. You have to set those rules, those boundaries in into that engine, don't you? Correct. Yes. Obviously, the other thing that can happen is data quality issues can arise and that can have an impact on the effectiveness or accuracy of personalization. Uh, do you have any examples where that's gone wrong? <laughs> I, I have one example where I recently received a feedback email uh, which said, Miriam, did you enjoy your last will and testament? Now, I can't think of anyone who would enjoy uh, writing a last will and testament. I obviously ordered a pack online and there isn't a check in place to say, you know, are we going to ask for feedback for it? certain things i think they just naturally ask feedback for everything and that's wrong right so i think this is where companies will need to start thinking about excluding certain things um because they could be sensitive or actually no people will not enjoy writing bills so you obviously keep a close eye on the opportunities in personalization the trends are there things that are happening right now that intrigue you is there a direction of travel or or a horizon that you think in you know, a couple of years' time this is all going to look like? Yes, a couple of things intrigue me in this space. One is where do you find a balance of personalization? So, so what I mean is if you leave it to the machine 100%, then you could inadvertently create a tunnel vision, right? So you're, you, you start to end up recommending very, very narrow. So you need to have a balance of of some editorial or some way of bringing a new type of, for example, content, um, not just, for example, fantasy films for somebody, because that's what they watch. But the other thing um, that intrigues me is, is there a difference in, in how people like personalization, right? So can we uh, understand who likes it you know, are there are there different profiles of people we can identify? Right, this is the profile who loves personalization, like myself, and this is the profile who doesn't. So, is there a correlation of introverts and extroverts, for example? I haven't seen anything on that on that side yet. I would love to get some insight, just to be more clever in terms of where we personalize, how much we personalize, um, and to whom. So, we want to start understanding how do people respond to personalization, but with data, not with market research, you know, not us asking them, but actually seeing whether then they opt out, right? So the more we personalize, do they then, do, where is the point where they find it that we know too much about them, right? Because there's always that little little element. I, I do feel we're at the beginning of this, right? Collectively, globally, we are at the beginning of understanding personalization. We, we have started, we're on that journey, but there is so much to learn. Now, over the course of lockdown, I wrote a book, Becoming Data Literate. And our newest recruit, Jess Middleton, had a few questions about it. Let's hear what they were. So hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Data IQ podcast. Previous listeners will notice that I am not David Reed. Uh, I'm, let, me, let me introduce myself. I'm Jess Middleton. I've been editor and senior analyst at Data IQ for the best part of two weeks now. That's flown by. Um, and the reason I'm filling in for David is because David is our esteemed guest today. How are you doing, David? Hi, Jess. Yes, thank you for having me and thank you for joining us. Yeah, we're just going to pretend that we haven't been talking to each other all day. <laughs> it's been one of those days. <laughs> so the reason we're, we're chatting is because I just got this in the post. David's new book, kind of, I guess, how does it feel to actually have 
all your hard work in the flesh and holdable. Yeah, it's one of those moments. And after a lot of hard work, trust me, anyone who's thinking of writing a book, don't underestimate the task ahead of you. Uh, there's, there's a lot of effort involved. And I think the most challenging bit is actually when you need to rewrite it, which you should. It, do not publish your first draft. Get feedback. Have other people look at the, uh, at the copy and do a rewrite. And it made a massive difference. So actually, that was probably the biggest moment of getting that piece done and off to the publishers. Clearly, having a physical object at the end of it in this uh, digital age is kind of thrilling because it will always exist now in some form, unless they all go to landfill, but don't do that. <laughs> so I think everyone likes to think they were productive during lockdown. I think some people became kind of amateur gardeners slash bakers. But you actually, you actually wrote a book. You actually have something substantial to prove that you were. I suppose what motivated you to start in the first place? And was it a nice project to have during the past 18 months? Well, I suppose I should point out that actually I'd still have my full-time job going on. We were very lucky at HRQ. We didn't really put our program on pause other than not being able to deliver in the physical world. So we had to stop conferences, but we turned a lot of them digital. So no one went on furlough. Uh, we didn't reduce uh, our working time at all. So this was a project alongside the day job, as it were. But the idea, it started... Uh, month or two before the pandemic really kicked off. And it was from the realization that we'd been publishing a lot of material in the 10 years from when DejaRQ launched back in April 2011, something like um, 1,600 articles and news items, uh, 800 profiles of members of the DejaRQ, 100, you know, over 600 award submissions, three and a half thousand research responses and hundreds of hours of roundtable conversations with members of DataRQ leaders and, of course, all of our conference presentations, all of which have been absolutely fascinating. But you do those things once and then they're gone. And when I was presenting this idea internally, I used the image of a dandelion, which grows. You have this, this wonderful flower it then turns into the thistle down. And it's just blown and it's gone and in the air. And what I suggested is that we needed to be looking at something a little bit more like an allium, which also prints a beautiful flower, but then you have this wonderful structure underneath it. So initially it wasn't thinking about a book. It was thinking in all of that insight that we've had from our community, from our engagement people, were there persistent elements that I could identify if I went back and I revisited everything, reread everything, could I spot elements that were constant in the practice of running a data office, running a data department, being a data leader? And if so, would they make sense as a framework to be able to say to people, we can look at where you are now and help you to progress because we've seen how other people approach the various different challenges and next steps that you might want to take. All of that process is actually in the book. So the book does describe that framework that we call the DataRQ way. 
but it also helps it also shows the evidence base within it there's a lot of reference material threaded through it to explain why we've reached this point of believing we can help organizations to become data literate data literacy itself is having a, a pretty big moment right now the pandemic obviously helped with um chris witty having to pull up charts for the for the public to digest um i suppose what made you land on data literacy as the key theme? Well, partly that was luck, Jess, uh, and it was reflected in, in the timing. And as you pointed out, that we've all had to become data literate to understand what's happening in the pandemic, to, to look at those graphs about the spread and to understand concepts like flattening the curve. It's been a huge sort of national numeracy program, yeah. if you will. If I'm really honest, it wasn't actually the first title of the book. Um, the focus initially was on can you become data native, which is an organization that doesn't even see data as distinct from the business model. It's so inherent in what it does. It's fully data native. And there will be new businesses and there will be generations of managers and leaders in those businesses who are data native. But that's quite a, a difficult thing to achieve if from a legacy organization from an incumbent place in those organizations. And during the course of last year, because of everything was happening, the, the term of data literacy did suddenly take on a lot more salience. We were hearing it a lot more. And when we got to the point of designing the cover and thinking about book titles, uh, we did actually experiment a little bit. Now, the, the concept of data literacy is very much there. It was, it was threaded through. It was something that did emerge out of all that evidence. And this, this idea that Data is not just something you practice for its own purpose. It has to be supporting the vision and the strategy of the business. And for that to happen, everybody has to be able to understand the organization, understand the market, understand the customers to the use of data and have a shared language, a shared set of definitions and shared assets. And so we see that very much as a, as a mindset and as a set of behaviors and data literacy as a term kind of wraps around those things quite neatly. And thirdly, um, in the hope of becoming a bestseller, a certain American president called his book Becoming. So if it worked for Obama, I figured it's no bad thing <laughs> if someone's searching on uh, a, a book website and they start typing becoming it might help with the sales so I, I had the pleasure of actually reading your book before it was released as part of my pre-reading before joining data iq one of the things that really shone through for me as a theme throughout the book was the the importance of leadership and leadership within the data community in general getting uh champions from outside of the data community as well to be to be spokespersons for its use why did you feel the need to weave that through through the book it's a good question, and I'm glad you saw that. One of the interesting things in reviewing all that material and looking especially at the, the people who we've included in our Data Q100, they do not have a common background. They come from all sorts of different disciplines, all sorts of different sectors, and have all landed in the data space because the last 10 years, I, I tend to call them the golden decade. There's been such a surge of interest and investment into data. It's drawn people towards it. It's been a fantastic place for them to arrive and say, I can create the data capability within your, your company and be part of that. Many organizations created their, their data offices for the first time. 
and appointed their very first chief data officers. If you look around organizations that have a CDO, they are still probably the first generation and in a few places, the second generation as a CDO. Now, that's been important to establish data and to show that it, it can be made to work, that it can fit in the organization. But what's going to happen next is that the data office has to behave like a business function in the same way that sales does or marketing or, or HR or finance or IT, which is as a service provider into the business, supporting those stakeholders, driving towards that, that vision and purpose for the organization itself. Now, that requires leadership, both internally, because you've got to take your teams and your practitioners with you on the journey, and externally, you've got to engage with the rest of the board, with all those divisional heads, all those people who've been wanting answers to questions or are coming knocking on the door saying, is there some data that would help to make this happen? Or I've got to make a big decision. How can you help me out? And often, the leadership piece gets overlooked in favor of the technology. Talking about technology is easy. Talking about data platforms is easy. Talking about leadership and performance management and people management is quite tough. Most of our CDOs that we know um, have tended not to come up with that in their skill set. So what I wanted to try and do was point out its importance and also build in some of the tools that can support them when they find themselves stepping from behind the screen to being in front of it and having to talk outwardly, either you know, in internal meetings or externally um, to much bigger organizations. And that's a big challenge for a lot, of, a lot of people in data and a lot of the data leaders that we know. And as you mentioned, the book has a kind of clear framework of in it and you have these step counters. So this isn't just an overview of, of the data world. It's, it's kind of got a, got a clear purpose. I suppose, who would you say the book is primarily aimed at and how should those people use the book to get the most out of it? When I was writing it, I certainly had in mind those first generation of CDOs who are perhaps at a point now where they need to take the, take the next step and show that they're a business leader, that they do understand the organization and how it works and that data is there to serve that organization. And as I was just saying, that's not a natural mindset or a natural skill set in a lot of cases. Many of the CDOs that you will meet don't necessarily talk about wanting to be a business leader, but they're going to have to be. So I was thinking about them. Obviously, their stakeholders need to have a sense of why are you talking like this to me now? You know, <laughs> what is it that you're doing? What are you trying to create across there in this new function that's, that's turned up in the last few years. So hopefully we will get some, some chief marketing officers and chief financial officers and even see a few CEOs looking at the book um, or possibly just speed reading it. Or if we do an audio book, maybe they'll listen, listen to it in their, on their commute. Um, and then there's probably a generation who are currently leaders of data teams maybe got a few years' experience under their belt, and they're looking ahead at what their career progression will be and don't necessarily see it as limited to just working with data and within data. So they have to move up and through and beyond that. And I hope that in reading it, they will feel that if they can continue their career progression within their existing department, that actually it's then an onward journey to have a great thing. Because so we don't know, in five to 10 years' time, 
what those organizations might look like, you know, that sense of being a data native organization may well come to fruition. It might be more commonplace than I anticipate at the moment. Into that framework is the data IQ way, which is a new concept that's coming out of data IQ. I suppose it would be good even for myself to get a kind of uh, a, a real overview of where the idea came from, where you hope it'll, it'll go, and kind of how the book ties into that. Well, frameworks, of course, are quite a standard thing for businesses who are working to support their client base to develop. Now, our client base is primarily now the members of DataRQ leaders who we have been talking to for some time. Uh, we've been busy training their teams and networking their uh, leaders and trying to you know, aggregate them together and help them on a journey. But it wasn't a journey that we had actually mapped out. We didn't start by thinking, if we can move them from A to B, that would be a, a really positive thing to do. We just had a vision initially of getting a chief data officer onto every C-level executive uh, in businesses. Now, that probably won't happen, and it's maybe not even necessary. But if we want to advance the cause of data and the people who deliver it, we need to be able to say, if you start here, we can help you forward and make actual gains, and especially productivity gains and value creation gains. So when I was reviewing all of that material, I started to think, what are people currently talking about? What do we need to be talking about for that three to five-year horizon, for that journey into the business and seeing data as a key enabler, not just a specialist function? So I deliberately set out a framework which talks about, yes, the data foundations, you need to have them, then creating this data culture, uh, those shared languages uh, and ways of working, then focusing on value creation, because unless you can show you are actually putting pounds on the bottom line or, or saving pounds from, from the bottom line, from the cost base, then there's not a lot of future for you. Uh, above that is aligning data to the business strategy. How is it a supporting pillar of that? All of which serves the vision. Now, these days, increasing numbers of organizations are setting out a vision or often they call it a purpose which may be, you know, they can sometimes sound really quite extraordinary, um, like, you know, being a better global citizen or helping people live longer lives and, and feel healthier, which, which sounds grand if maybe you're just a manufacturer of um, toothpaste or soap powders. But there are two companies that, that we know well who do exactly that. And they do think very, very deeply about the fact they consume raw materials, they have these big supply chains. You know, they are a global citizen who manufactures things, and there are consequences, especially on things like sustainability. So their vision is they want to improve. Uh, elsewhere, it's things like uh, being part of um, net zero. So we're seeing these visions being expressed, and data is a really powerful part of how you deliver against that. So the framework very clearly says you have to align vertically to, against all of those things. It recognizes that companies have different levels of maturity. Uh, so as I mentioned, that, that very top level of being data native, which probably one or 2% of organizations can ever achieve. Some might be born that way as we progress, but at the moment, 98% aren't there. 
right at the bottom, um, I, I call that group some data users because they decide what they want to do. They create everything they, they intend to do. Then they look for the data to support it, which is a very backward-looking way of doing things. But it does still happen a lot. So that's the maturity piece. Uh, and then I looked at sort of another dimension, which are what you need to address to go on that journey for each of those five dimensions. So the common things that always come out are you need skills, you need leadership, you need to put the enablers in place to make that happen. And you have to constantly think, what is my strategy here? Now, it might sound um, like an oxymoron to talk about a strategy for business strategy, but it's not because you know, strategy gets defined. You need to be at that table if you work in data when the organization or your division is going, what's our strategy to realize our three-year goal? You know, we know how big we want the company to be. What are the steps we need to take? Our data needs to be in that conversation. So, for example, within the data QA, it is about how you get into those conversations at that strategic level and what sort of conversations you help to lead and help to create within a business. And we hope that we're going to be part of how our membership starts to do that and starts to have a, a very conscious progression towards the, the ultimate goal that their, their company has set out. We're just, we're just there to you know, hold their hand, to put in place some of those skills, some of those enablers, to develop that leadership and to have those strategic discussions. So would you say the book is kind of applicable for anyone along any scale of that of that maturity chain um, and could it have different impacts at, at different levels and kind of be read in different ways yeah i think that's right i don't think everyone needs to read the book from start to finish necessarily um, and you can cherry pick it although there is a journey described through the book um, towards an end goal you may skip some steps because you've already done those things you know your specific data maturity might be high around certain aspects of what the book describes, like where in the organization the data might sit. If you've made that decision, you don't need to read that bit. Um, so anyone who's trying to understand the current climate of thinking around how data works as a function, I think should find some value in reading this book because it cites it. It's a business book that's about data. It's not about data. And there are a lot of books that have been published in the last few years that really describe, you know, how to understand statistics and read graphs and what yeah. data types are and how to build um, your, your, your data lake and so on. And that's great and that's important, but that will get done by, by specialist teams or external consultants or, or technology vendors. And it gets built and you move forward. And then itself, it doesn't change anything. What I genuinely believe is this process of becoming data literate can be transformative for an organization. It can actually accelerate its performance. It can get it into a, you know, a, leaders, uh, a leader quadrant, not a laggard quadrant in, in its marketplace or product proposition or whatever it might be, if it brings all these things together. So anyone who's, who's got an interest in a career in data or in business and is thinking about data, hopefully we'll find at least a couple of chapters that, that do resonate with them. And that could be just as simple as um, 
where I talk about understanding your career anchors, the things that, that motivate you, which, which is a very interesting point, both for the individuals and the people who lead them, to recognize we are all in this for different reasons. Some people you know, have a very strong mission. Others want to sit and get really deep into solving technical problems. Recognizing how individuals in your team or yourself um, reflect those different career anchors and how you balance that across the team and across the department is really important and will have an impact because you don't want all of the same type. When we talk about diversity, it's not just diversity by, by gender or race or educational background. It's also by thinking. I have two very important questions to kind of round this up with. Is uh, The first one would be, where can people get the book? Uh, well, at all good bookshops, um, if, you, or if you want to buy direct from the publisher, Harriman House, uh, we do have a page um, on our own website where you can find that link. Uh, it will be in bookshops, um, hopefully, from the 31st of August, uh, and obviously online booksellers have it available. Uh, and every hard copy also comes with a free Kindle version, or e-reader version, so you don't have to stick it in your, your backpack or a briefcase or a messenger bag. You can get it on your electronic device as well. It is a very nice-looking book, though, so I would recommend uh, <laughs> getting a, a gander at the cover. I suppose the second question would be, are you working on a sequel, or will that take another global pandemic? <laughs> well, I certainly hope not. <laughs> I don't want that to be the reason. Uh, there's definitely um, a volume two, although whether it's a book in the same format is very much an open question. I think the reality is having defined this framework and looked through all that evidence and come to this sort of belief that we have something that is useful and, and viable, probably the next step is a playbook. So rather like you see football managers sitting line side with these hefty, well, actually, it's probably on an iPad these days, but they, they flick through different charts to understand what shape they want the team to have or you know, what they want them to do in the next five minutes. Um, similarly, we need to craft a toolkit which has specific reference points. So at certain stages, if one of our members, one of the data leaders is facing a, a challenge of a certain time, they can look at this toolkit and go, that would be useful. You know, if I just, if I think about it this way, or if I ask myself for well, then these questions, the answers will show me what to do next. Yeah. Well, brilliant. Thanks, David. As I mentioned, um, I've already had the pleasure of reading the book, but I'm really looking forward to it, it kind of hitting the market and being involved in the conversations that come out of it. I'm sure we're going to have a, a lot of work to do coming out of it and uh, in, in the round tables that we hold at, hold at Data IQ. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to getting my teeth into those. Fantastic. So that's it for this edition. If you liked it, please link, like, and share. And for now, goodbye.